0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and go to Galatians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can grab a Bible there on the ground next to you. You can go to page 1031. 1031. Well, today, I think, is a very good day to enjoy God and his radical grace. And that's what the book of Galatians is showing us. You know, we can know uh, how to define grace and give a Sunday school answer for grace, but once the, once the shockwaves of grace knock you over and bring you back up, you are different. You see the world differently. The Bible reads different. Songs sound sweeter. Christians actually become enjoyable to be around. You become less judgy of others and more sympathetic and, and eager for them to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Because, listen, I think this is a big problem in the Bible about that. Christianity and religion, morality, it doesn't change us. Jesus does. And his radical grace is what changes us. And this is our story. And this is what the Apostle Paul shows us today in Galatians 1 and verses 10 through 24, the origin stories of the gospel and our conversion. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word and we'll begin in Galatians 1 verse 10. And the Holy Spirit tells us, For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. I did not receive it from a human source and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. This is Peter. I stayed with him 15 days, but I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we hear this word. Would you show us today what your radical grace means for us right now, in this time, and in this place? Help us, King Jesus. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I am so thankful for the veterans of our country and the veterans in this church. We had Larry Curley who was in the first service. If you're a veteran today, would you stand? If you've served in the military, would you stand so we can honor you? Thank you. you. I was watching the Rockets game last night, like I do. And they're honoring veterans there in the Rockets game. And Clyde Drexler just made a quick comment and a joke, but it was true. He's like, "I'm so thankful for our veterans, especially of the World Wars and the many wars." But he was talking about the World Wars at this time. And he said, "Without them, we'd probably be speaking German right now." Without the sacrifice and commitment and your mission and your commitment and your allegiance, veterans are biblical examples for us all, as Paul says in in. 2 Timothy 2, he says this, no one serving as a soldier, a good soldier, gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. So the soldier aims to please, to fulfill their calling in charge of their CO. Not the enemy, not the opposition. They're not worried about their flower bed back home. They're not, trying to please the bartender down the street from base, or they're not worried about their Netflix queue. They want to please their CO. They know who they serve. They know their allegiance. And Paul's telling us now, do you know where your allegiance is? He wants us to imitate these good soldiers, to imitate these vets. And he talks about his allegiance. Look at verse 10. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So here's what Paul's doing here. Paul started these churches in Galatia and now false teachers have come in and they're telling these Christians, look, Paul didn't tell you the whole story. He was worried y'all wouldn't like him if he told you the harder stuff. Paul was worried you wouldn't like him if he told you you had to be circumcised. Paul was worried you wouldn't like him if he told you that you really got to follow the Old Testament law. But we're here to tell you the truth. Here's what, this is what's happening. These false teachers are telling these Christians to, to really be saved. You need Jesus. Faith is stage one, but works finish it off. You know what Paul says about that? It's in verse nine. Look at verse nine. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching, so Paul knows this is happening. He says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, what I taught you, a curse be on them. What Paul's saying is those false teachers, they deserve hell. If anyone's teaching you a false gospel, they can go to hell. And then Paul says right after that, You think I have a people-pleasing problem? (laughs) If I had a people-pleasing problem, you think I would have said what I said in verse nine? Do you really think I edit for the sake of being liked? Paul's actually gonna say later, am I the bad guy because I told you the truth? Galatians four up on the screen. So then have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? No, these false teachers, they court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. They just want you to follow them, but I want you to follow Christ. So what Paul is doing here is he's lifting up the hood for them and for us here in verse 10 and showing us what drives him, showing us his his calling. Look at verse 10 again. Am I trying to persuade people or God? It's an odd sounding verse, isn't it? Like, what's the answer of this verse? Uh, People? Well, That's the answer the next sentence. Am I striving to please people? Well, it would be, well, no. So is it people or are you trying to persuade God? What's happening here? Well, the other translations have this as to win the approval. Am I trying to win the approval of others or God? And the CSB has the footnote there, or win the approval of people. Persuade is the literal word here. It's just what it is. But the amplified kind of meaning of it is to win the approval. This word can mean cajole, to try to curry favor with others, do whatever I can so you'll like me. So, Paul, what Paul's doing here is do you buy the lie from the false teachers that I'm trying to persuade you to like me? You think I live for the thumbs up of you or the false teachers? He's asking them if it comes down between making you happy or being faithful to God, who do you think I'm going to choose? I don't compromise truth for being likes. And he amplifies it. You can see it in the next sentence. Next question. Or am I striving? So it goes from am I trying to am I striving to please people? They act like my life's mission is to be liked and to dilute the gospel and I'll sacrifice whatever just so you guys will like me. Paul says, give me a break. If I were still, the verse continues, if I were still trying, he's saying I used to back in my old way of life. We'll talk about that in a second. If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. To be a servant of Christ and to want the approval and the applause of the world, they are at odds with each other. Paul says, my allegiance is to him and to his truth, no matter the cost. That's why he'll say in 2 Thessalonians, we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. Is this your allegiance Is this your allegiance? Listen, it's really easy to bash pastors when they get on national TV and are unfaithful. It's really easy to bash the Hillsong pastor who was on national TV this past week and Joel Osteen for the many times he's done that. It's really easy to, and they should be rebuked and criticized for that. But what about you in your everyday life when there are no cameras around? Do you waffle on the gospel when being disliked by a coworker is on the line? Do you stay silent when an opportunity arises, but you stay silent only because you want to maintain the friendship? Even if hell is where they're headed. I mean, think about how selfish this is. I want to keep this friendship, even if it costs me not telling you about Jesus and you going to hell. Paul is saying, pick your God. Is it God or people? (coughs) Find your Messiah. Is it Jesus or is it the people you just want to be liked by? Paul is telling us, like him, if I'm a servant of Christ, I can't live for the approval of others. And simply because we follow a crucified man. We follow a global certified reject. But he is the cosmic king. Are you all talking to each other? I'm preaching here. You guys have a conversation. You need to whisper to each other. Like everyone else's does. We follow a crucified reject. You can't follow a crucified reject and be liked by the world. Am I your enemy because I told you the truth? Listen, listen, beloved. I really want you, this is what Paul's getting at. Don't trade present faithfulness to Jesus for a future friendliness with the world. Don't trade present faithfulness to Jesus Christ for future friendliness with the world. You don't need to live for the approval of others. Your joy doesn't have to be based on how much you are liked because you've been accepted by God in Christ And so when you actually hear the pitch of the gospel, that divine frequency of radical grace, it tilts your head like a puppy. We got this puppy right now, it's driving me crazy. But I see her, she hears a certain noise or something does and you know, the little. When you hear the pitch of divine grace in your life, you tilt your head too and you're changed. This is where Paul goes next. So why do I live this way? Why do I not live? Why, why am I not still trying to please people? He answers with two origin stories. And origin stories, they're backstories. How did Superman become Superman? How did Hulk become the Hulk? These are origin stories. And same thing kids ask, where do babies come from? They want an origin story. Paul says, I'll give you one. Where does the gospel come from? Where do Pauls come from? Where do Christians come from? not the stork. We need the origin of the gospel. And it's in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Paul says, here's what I want you to know. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. Now this sounds a lot like verse one, where he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man. So no man made me an apostle. And here he says, look, this gospel that I preach is not human origin. It's not man's gospel. I didn't get it from a human source. Here's what we hear. First thing, the gospel isn't man's invention. The gospel isn't man's invention. It's not, a, it's not man's rigged system of religion. Beloved, the gospel is God's. And this is glorious because the gospel and Christianity... The gospel is not a philosophy for life. The gospel wasn't birthed out of the halls of Greco-Roman discussions. The gospel is not a fable. It's not a tale written for little boys and little girls how to get good manners. The gospel is not man's ideas about God, but it is God's way to save man. This is critical that you know that this gospel, the message, the good news of Jesus of Nazareth, the the eternal son of God, and in him having his body hammered and nailed to a Roman cross, hanging naked before the crowds with a criminal on his right and a criminal on his left, to die for our sins, to die in our place, to satisfy the wrath of God, to do this for us and then to die, and then to rise again from the dead, to walk out of that tomb in a new, resurrected, glorious body, and then if you simply believe that, if you just believe that Jesus did that for you, then you're saved, and you're forgiven, and you're freed, and you're new, and you're promised eternal life with God, that this comes straight from God. No human dreamed this up. This is straight from heaven. And that when you hear the gospel, when you read about the gospel, when you think about the gospel, you are hearing a message that originated beyond this world. You are engaging with the supernatural. When you think about the gospel and you think about what Jesus did for you, you are dealing with divine power from the ruler of the universe. The origin of the gospel is God, not man. It, because every other religion and every other way of redemption is all homebrewed. The gospel's from heaven. And all of our own harebrained ideas of how to improve our lives and to make ourselves right with God, they don't work. They fail us. Because this is how powerful and safe trusting Jesus is. That when we trust Christ, we have all of heaven. When we trust Christ, we have all of heaven and all of God's power on our side. When you trust Christ, you are leaning in to the Almighty. And you should believe in him today. Because our strength does nothing. We are weak, but he's strong. This is why Paul highlights the origin of the gospel itself, that it's God himself, not man. Because false teachers are saying, you know, Paul, he, he learned some stuff. He learned the gospel from headquarters in Jerusalem, from HQ, but he forgot some things. He forgot about circumcision. He forgot about law keeping. Paul says, no, I didn't. Look at verse 12. So the gospel is not from man, verse 12, and I did not receive it from a human source. I wasn't taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, no one taught me the gospel either. Peter didn't tell me about it. Not any of the 12 disciples. The the gospel wasn't telephone-gamed to me. We know the telephone game. One person starts with a word or phrase and it kind of goes around. You can only say it once. You have to whisper it to that person. You know, you start with something like Reese Witherspoon and it ends up like Cheeseburger Town or something by the end. Paul says, I was not telephoned the gospel. I got it right from the Savior. And I lost nothing. Look, Verse 12, I didn't receive it from a human source. I wasn't taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. So I did, Paul's saying, I did get it from HQ, from the head of the church himself, the Alpha and the Omega. He he told it to me. He got it, and you see this in the book of Acts. Paul's an unbeliever. He's on his way to persecute more Christians, to arrest more Christians, and the risen Christ shows up and kabooms over him knocks him over, and Paul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul believes. Christ revealed himself to Paul. And now listen, this word revealed in verse 12 came by a revelation. I don't, I don't always do this because I think it's kind of lame and dorky, but this is helpful. This word of revelation in Greek, I want you to hear it because I think you'll know it and you'll recognize it. Apocalypsis of Jesus Christ the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. Same name for the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. This is where we get our word apocalypse. So Paul says, when the gospel, it wasn't taught to me, but it came to me via an apocalypse. The nuke of the gospel crashed into me and the radical grace of God exploded in my life when I saw Jesus Christ. What happened to Paul was an apocalypse. And this matters for Paul's ministry. These, these Christians in Galatia, they're kind of doubting him. He says, no, my life was totally changed. And this, this matters to your life. Because listen, if you are in Christ, you have an apocalyptic testimony. When you see the origin of our conversion, the origin of the gospel, yes, but the origin of our conversion, it's radical grace from God. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. For you've heard about my former way of life in Judaism. So, what Paul is going to do now, this next section, he's going to get autobiographical because he's showing us in the Galatians. Here's what the gospel does. Here's how the gospel works. This is what happens when radical grace explodes and an apocalypse happens in your heart. Here's how you become a Christian. Is it circumcision? Is it law keeping? Here's how you become a Christian. Let me tell you my story. Thirteen. You've heard of my about my former way of life in Judaism. See how decisive, decisive he's being. I used to be this way. My former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. This word, I intensely persecuted. It's doubly intense. It's used normally to describe soldiers destroying towns burning houses down, ransacking villages. And Paul Paul amplifies it when he says, I tried to destroy it. Paul wasn't out just to persecute a group of Christians or like one church. Paul says, I wanted to get rid of the whole thing. I thought the whole thing was a dishonor to God. I wanted Christianity stamped out and no longer existing in the world. He was after the entire church. And he thought he was honoring God by doing so. Look at verse 14. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people. I was top of my class, varsity. Varsity Pharisee. I was extremely zealous for the traditions. The traditions of my ancestors, verse 14. How, Paul says, I, I, I was all about circumcision. I was all about dietary laws. I was all about festivals. All of the things these Galatian false teachers were telling you, I was, I was extremely zealous for them. I was obsessed. I was religious. I was the most religious. Verse 15. But when God, but when Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the triune God that we follow, but when God, beloved, you must have this in your origin story, in your conversion. Your conversion should sound something like this. This is really important. I, w- I want you to hear this. This matters so much to God and matters so much to me. Too many people say, I've always been a Christian. You have not. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that. You need to hear if you think that you have not always been a Christian. And if you still think that, you may not be one. You have not always been a Christian. You must be born again you must be converted at some point. There must be a former way of life. It might be a former way of life in Judaism. might be a former way of life in atheism. might be a former way of life in agnosticism and Buddhism and Islam, whatever it is. There must be a, I was this way and now there's this. And I know that sometimes we think, well, I grew up in the church, I just don't know. I don't have a liberation story from drugs and alcohol and rock and roll and wild living and a dorm room conversion. I don't have that, but listen, Right now, you must believe that you don't only need to be delivered from unrighteousness. You need to be delivered from self-righteousness. You don't need to just be saved from irreligion. You need to be saved from religion. Saved to Christ. We could say about Paul, Paul grew up in the Torah belt. He's not the drugs and rock and roll guy. He is the church kid. He's the religious kid. Knew all the answers in Sunday school. Was encouraged to go get his MDiv and his PhD under Gamaliel, clearly gifted to be a rabbi. But Paul needed to be saved from his religion. And maybe you do too. Maybe the best thing that could happen to some of us today is to be saved from our Christianities and saved to Christ. Christ. And Jesus would love that. Some of us are just, we just have faith in Christianity. We just have faith in our systems of belief and our kind of religious duties. We, some of us need to be saved from Christianity and saved to Christ. That's what happens to Paul. Saved from his religion, verse 15. But when God, and look at how Paul views this. But when God who from my mother's womb set me apart, you see how Paul views God's grace for him? That God, God had him marked before he was born. Before he did anything. In my mother's womb. From my mother's womb. When I was in utero, God was loving me. God already loved him. Even, even before Paul did anything good, even before Paul did anything bad, before he was going to persecute the church, persecute the son of God, running coat check for those who were stoning Stephen. God already determined to save Paul. And listen, this is true of you. It's easy to look at this and go, man, look at how much God loved Paul. This is true of you. Because the Bible says that God chose you before the foundation of the world. Before the world was born, God had set his love on you. It's not just true of Paul, it's true of you. And the Bible says that in him, he loved us and predestined us to be adoption, to be his sons and daughters. God predestined to save you all by grace. My children, when they were in utero, I loved them. Just go and talk to the belly. Hey, rub the belly. They hadn't done anything but make my wife uncomfortable. They didn't do anything to earn my love but just exist. It's an imperfect example, but it gives me an insight into the heart of God. He loved you before you were born. And look, the Bible says in verse 15, and Paul says, He called me by His grace. Paul says, I didn't do anything to incite God to save me. He was on his way to arrest and kill more Christians. I don't think he could be doing anything worse. And God saves him. You don't do anything to incite or to ignite God's love for you. He just loves. That's why he says next, he was, God was pleased, in verse 15, going into 16, to reveal his son in me. I love this. It's two things so incredible here. That first, here's, here's what conversion is, guys. You know, I remember... A friend, was, we were working together at Starbucks and she was interested in becoming a Christian and we're talking and she says, you know, um, I'm actually gonna, gonna become a Christian tomorrow. I said, you are? How are you gonna do that? Well, I'm gonna go to this Catholic church down the street and they have a little class. I'm gonna take that and I'll be done. I said, you don't, you don't have to do that. I don't? No. What do I have to do to be saved? okay. Why don't you come over to our house? We'll have dinner. Natalie make food. It'll be great. We just open the Bible. We start reading Ephesians 2. And she starts laughing. I'm like, oh, boy, is this like a demonic thing? What's going on? (laughs) Why are you laughing? She goes, if Jesus did that for me, I believe. Because, friends, conversion is that faith encounter with the crucified and risen Christ. Pleased to reveal his son in me. Not a concept, not a data point, not a theology, but the son himself revealed to you and in you. Isn't that bizarre? That It'd make more sense to us if he says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. but he says, in me. Because when you hear the gospel and you hear about Jesus and what he did for you, you see him by faith and you realize he's got me. He's He's here him, and I love him, and I don't know why. You just kind of know, I need Jesus. That's conversion. And that's what is needed. Have you been converted? Has Jesus been revealed to you by faith? And notice the difference here in Paul's life. Let's get nerdy again. Look at these subjects in verse 13, the subjects of these sentences. I intensely persecuted God's church. Verse 14, I advanced in Judaism because I was extremely zealous. And the subjects changed in verse 15. God... Love me from my mother's womb. God called me. God was pleased to reveal his son in me. This is conversion. It's me, me, me. And now your life is God and God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. You can't make yourself become a Christian. We don't do anything to become Christians. God makes us into Christians. And if you are in Christ today, it's because God, by his radical grace, made the light of the gospel shine into your heart. And if you want to believe, do it. If you want to believe, do it. God is giving it to you. God is giving you the gift. And don't miss this, beloved. I want you to really, this has mattered so much to me this week. Verse 15, in the end to 16, God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Pleased. God was pleased. God loved saving Paul. It thrilled God. It gives God great joy to save sinners. God was pleased to reveal his son to you. If you're a Christian, think about when you were converted. The faith and the joy and the emotions and the tears God was thrilled when he saved you. The Bible says that angels, there's a party in the presence of the angels when a sinner repents. God was pleased to reveal Jesus to you. So don't think that you twisted God's arm to save you. Fine, I guess, I'll save you. That's not the God of the Bible. Don't think God begrudgingly saved you. Ugh, fine, because you asked, I will. No, it pleased God. He saved you for his pleasure and for his delight and for his joy. Beloved, you were converted because there is a God with a giant heart for you, brimming with delight over you. He's pleased to reveal a son. You weren't converted because there's a grumpy father God with a son who slips you in the back. You were born again because the almighty God was pleased to save you. This is radical grace. It was radical for Paul. It was radical for you. Paul was armed by this grace. He was arrested by it. So you can kind of see why. I don't live for the approval of others. You know what God did for me? You know what God did for you? And the rest of this passage now, he kind of gives his travel itinerary. which you read this and go, well, how does this change my life? He says in 16, he revealed the son to me so I could preach among the Gentiles. That's my mission now. I'm the servant of Christ. But now he kind of goes into all of this biography stuff. I didn't consult with anyone. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who become apostles before me. Verse 17, And said, I went to Arabia and I came back to Damascus. Verse 18, then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem. Remember, these false teachers are saying, Paul, he's not really connected to us. He's kind of an outlier. Um, He learned some stuff in Jerusalem, but he kind of messed it up. He got telephoned and all wrong. Paul says, that's not true. The disciples didn't teach me anything. Look what he says in 18. I did go up to Jerusalem after three years. I'd been preaching. I'd been doing stuff. And I finally did go to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, to get to know him. He didn't teach me anything. In fact, in a little bit, I, got to, I had to teach him something. And I say with him, 15 days, 15 days is not enough time to, okay, here's how the entire Old Testament and everything points to Jesus. Okay, 15 days is not enough time to, here's how you can write the Bible. But 15 days is enough to get to know somebody. Okay, he's kind of learning about Peter, knowing more about him. And 19, I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. This is why verse 20, all this makes sense now. When he says, I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying on what I write to you. Those Galatian teachers, they're lying on what they tell you. What I'm telling you is the truth. That's why now he says in 22 and 23, I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches, the the churches in the Jerusalem area. They, They didn't know me, but 23, they simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. What's the point of this? The churches in Judea didn't even meet me, they didn't know me. They just heard, now I proclaim the faith, I, per- I persecuted. You know, here's the point, guys. Paul is saying, So what did this in my life? Was it circumcision or was it grace? Did my law keeping bring about all these churches to glorify God because of me? Did the traditions that I was extremely zealous for, am I advancing and beyond Judaism, my and all my Awana patches, did that bring glory to God? No, the traditions didn't change my life. Circumcision didn't change my life. The radical grace of God did. The law didn't change Paul, Jesus did. Grace did. And Paul says, now I count all those things as rubbish, Philippians. I count all my advancements, all my works. There there has nothing. Because Christ saves me. Beloved, works don't change us. They show we are changed. Christianity doesn't change us. The Christ of Christianity does. And that's why the church has glorified God, not Paul. Paul the glorified God because of how grace changed Paul. Your origin story, your conversion brings glory to God, no matter how sketchy it is. They're using Paul's past against him. I mean, he used to persecute us. He doesn't get it yet. Paul's past is pretty scary. But listen, your past doesn't discredit the gospel. It actually gives credibility to the gospel because it shows us this is God's grace. So radical, scandalous grace, incredible grace. So you can see why Paul says, I don't live for man's approval. I'm Christ's servant. I'm a veteran of spiritual warfare. And as a veteran of spiritual warfare, I know my commanding officer and I seek to please him. So now Paul's gathering us together in the barracks on Sunday morning. He's saying, learn from me. As a veteran of the same spiritual war, fighting against legalism, fighting for grace, live for our commanding officer. His grace is all we need. He's pleased to reveal his son to us. Let's pray together. Holy Father, thank you for your radical grace for us. I would have never believed in you if it were not for you. I would have never loved you if it were not for you revealing the Son to me. I would have never picked up a Bible, I would never walked into a church. I would have never done anything. I would never pray. I would continue to hate you if it were not for you revealing yourself to me. Lord today I, would you? Would you reveal your son to someone here? Maybe save them from their religion. Save them from their version of Christianity. Save them to your son. Give them faith now, Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your mighty grace. And would you help us now to live for our commanding officers to live for you, to not not the approval of others, but to step out from radical grace and with radical grace to radical obedience and mission and discipleship with you, no matter the cost. Help us, King Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.